If I could give this message a subtitle, I would call it, There's Always Exceptions. We began this chapter noting the Pharisees were trying to trap and destroy Jesus using this controversial social issue of marriage, which was controversial in the culture even back then. However, Jesus cuts through all of that confusion in those first six verses of this chapter by simply citing the word of God, which clearly does speak to this issue, as it clearly does speak to this issue today. And because God has, as Jesus said in the, the, the preceding verses, has made us male and female and made the beautiful institution and covenant that we have today called marriage, which where he, joy, where he joins one man and one woman together for life. And what God has joined together, let not man separate, as Jesus said last week, last time we were together. However, we do live in a fallen world, a sinful world. We as human beings have broken pretty much all of God's commandments and all of his his institutions we have either broken or mocked. So the question is, you know, how do we respond when this does happen? What is God's will when things get messy, for lack of a better word? And with that said, the Pharisees responded to Jesus's claim that marriage was designed to be, which was ought to have been for life in verse seven, where he says, and they said to them, why did Moses command, that's an important word, one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? This refers to our first reading from Deuteronomy 24 and is the only law in the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that speak to divorce and remarriage. It's the only law in the, in the whole collection. And how they read, again, the Pharisees who usually seem to in the Gospels have the wrong interpretation of things, they read, their reading of this law from Deuteronomy 24 was that Moses commanded that if some indecency is found within her, and you can define that indecency pretty much however they wanted, as we saw last time, uh, then you must divorce her. Just make sure that the paperwork is right. And hence their emphasis on writing the certificate. And that was what the emphasis was for. <laughs> some rabbis even said that you had a duty back then to rid yourself of a displeasing wife. Can you imagine So it's no surprise after last time as we fleshed out these first six verses and what God's plan for this ultimately was that Jesus had a bit of a rebuttal for them in verse eight. As he goes on to say, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. You see the difference here in Jesus's language versus the language of the Pharisees when compared to the actual text. Moses allowed or permitted this to happen. That is very different than command. Very different. That's why I say that every word of the Bible is important. 
And it's worth having a Bible that and reading your Bible in a way that treats every word reverently as if every word does make a difference because it does. When Jesus said that neither a jot or tittle, the smallest stroke of the Hebrew pen would disappear from the law. This is the kind of stuff that he was talking about would happen if it did. Because frankly, everything about the Pharisees understanding of this passage is wrong. Deuteronomy 24 does not describe God's ideal or what he wanted or instituted. But what sometimes happens, but he's describing rather what sometimes happens because of the hardness of man's hearts. What it actually describes is what happens if a man finds no pleasure in his wife anymore because of some indecency which is never defined for a reason, by the way. It's just some unbiblical excuse the person would make up as an excuse to break his marriage vows. And then he writes a certificate of divorce, making it lawful in the civil sense, but not recognized by God, which is a very important point for us to keep in the back of our minds. Just because something's recognized by the state doesn't mean it's recognized by God. And after all of that is done and she gets married to another person, and if she gets divorced again, then under those very specific set of circumstances is not permitted to go back to her first husband. That is the singular and extremely specific law that Deuteronomy 24 was addressing. This had nothing to do with how they were using it. In the first century. Far cry from the Pharisees were using it for. And the reason why this law was given? Well, there's a lot of speculation around it. uh, Especially regarding Jewish culture. It it created issues regarding the dowry or the bride price. That they would have to pay. created issues with that. It's rather a bizarre set of circumstances. When you observe it in the first place. What's going on here. But most importantly, as Jesus said in verse 9 you end up proliferating sin when this happens because the divorce was never recognized by God in the first place. You end up having adultery all over the place, which is really the issue here. You see, the Bible only gives two reasons where divorce is acceptable. Even though it was not, from the beginning it was not so, there are two reasons given in Scripture where it is acceptable. The first here from the mouth of Jesus himself is sexual immorality, which, by the way, here refers to anything in that realm. Using my language carefully. It's not just strictly fornication. Keep in mind Jesus's words in Matthew 5 that even to look upon a woman with lust in your heart is to commit adultery. When you think about it, it's the ultimate breach of that one flesh union that we're supposed to have and cherish together in a marriage situation. And the second reason given in Scripture is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, abandonment. And if I were to go verse by verse there, I'd I'd never get out of it. It'd take a long time to unpack. You can read it in your own time. But in short, it says if you are a believer and your partner absolutely refuses to stay with you, 
And they just, you becoming a Christian or being a Christian is just too much for them. I can't stand you being a Christian. You're, you're not as fun as you used to be. You used to tolerate my sin and now you won't. And that person just absolutely won't stand for it. And they choose to depart. The Bible says, let them depart. Don't be contentious or go through litigation forcing them to stay. Let them go. In the the eyes of God, in both of these circumstances, you are the innocent party. You're free to remarry. You don't need to feel any shame for what took place. Romans 12 says, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. But not all men are going to live peaceably with you. That's an important point. You can't control that. You have to let them depart. And while not found in Scripture directly, the church has historically also recognized abuse as an acceptable reason for a divorce. I mean, Ephesians 5 talks about how husbands, you know, love and cherish their own bodies, and that's what they're called to do for their wives, nourish and cherish them as well. And that's a breach of that commitment, a failure to keep up to their vows. So that's been historically understood by the church as well. And I'd rather not take this from a sermon and turn it into a lecture and go through all of the bizarre circumstances out there and really get into the weeds. I don't think that'll help anybody here. But I'd rather than speculate about gray areas, I want to anchor us back to what we know and then move forward in this morning's text. Because divorce ought never be thought of as something God-ordained, morally neutral, or some outright good thing unto itself. And I say that for a reason, because even in acceptable circumstances, it is still evidence of sin and hardness of heart taking place. I mean, you'll never find two happily married individuals. Everything's going wonderfully in their life, and they just wake up one morning, and then after breakfast, they both had their coffee. The wife says to her husband, hey, you know what I'm thinking we do today? Let's go to the courthouse and get a divorce. See, you guys are laughing because it's absurd. That doesn't happen. Because the only reason divorces do happen is if sin is involved somewhere in that midst. And we have to be real careful with that, by the way, because guilt is often placed on innocent parties. Someone can do everything right and still get divorced because it takes two to tango. We must be far quicker to show compassion when these things happen and far slower to be suspicious or throw shade at somebody. And also some twisted people have twisted the scriptures, sorry, and said that, oh, well, Jesus said only hard-hearted people initiate divorces. So you need to stay with me through the bad times or you're the guilty party. That that is not what this says. I I feel ridiculous even entertaining such a crazy circumstance, but some people have, have cited that shamefully. No, it's a dangerous twist in scripture. The hard-hearted one is the one who brought sin into the marriage, not the one who's being crushed by it. Big difference there. So I'm going to make one final point on all of this and then move forward. Because like I said, I didn't want this to become a six-part series. But even in the case of 
sexual immorality. Even in the case of adultery in this relationship, divorce is still not commanded. That word is never used in the scriptures, but it is allowed and permitted. And it's permitted for a reason. That is, that must be hard to live with. So hard to move past and forgive that anybody would understand that. However, when you think about it, that's exactly what God has forgiven us in a spiritual sense. When you think about it critically. Now, the Old Testament book of Hosea is one of the most fascinating books in all of the Old Testament. It is a high point of incredible grace when you read through it. Because in short, God tells the prophet Hosea to marry a woman who would be shockingly unfaithful to him. End up having children that weren't his and him raising them. But Hosea remained faithful to her. He takes her back despite all of her wanderings and still takes care of her and brings her out of these horrific circumstances she finds herself in. And absolutely anybody would grant Hosea permission to go about your way, do your own thing. But he doesn't. Because God said that this relationship, this broken and messed up relationship, is the perfect picture between God and Israel, and later the church. Because Israel was perpetually unfaithful to God, going after other gods all over the place, refusing to obey his commandments. God had every right to annihilate the nation of Israel as a nation, but he doesn't. He shows them grace. He takes them back as his people and does all the work in this impossibly one-sided relationship. And God does all of that because that's exactly what he has done for us. We have all been wayward. We have all gone after other idols, other passions. We have trusted in other things other than God to give us security. We've all been spiritually adulterous. But God has not nor will he send us away, even in our spiritual unfaithfulness. Rather, if you are in Christ this morning, the Bible tells us that you are a new creation. You're not who you used to be. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no height nor depth nor anything else in all creation that is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible assures us of these things. And when you think about it, the word amazing from amazing grace just doesn't seem powerful enough to consider the depth of our sin and yet the 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 immeasurable reaches of God's love and forgiveness and compassion and grace towards us. We haven't earned it at all, but he gives it to us freely. How beautiful is this? You know, I'm going to be frank. If For many of us, if our spouse had treated us the same way we treat God, our patience might have run out a long time ago. 
I'm going to say that again. For many of us, if our spouse had treated us the same way we treat God, our patience would have run out a long time ago. But unlike our own selves and our own brokenness, God's love and mercy never cease or come to an end. Lamentations 3 tells us, they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That's where that hymn comes from. As we consider God's faithfulness, his goodness towards us, the depths of his grace, the fact that no matter what I have done, I can find forgiveness and peace with a holy and perfect God. All I can say is, isn't our God good? So as we get back to our text, it appears that the Pharisees have gone away after Jesus' last comment, and sometime later his disciples approach him with a question in verse 10. It's kind of an interesting one. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. If I can't get a divorce, if there's no other way out of this, except for these reasons, it's better not committing in the first place. Kind of, kind of hilarious when you read it that way. Because no doubt, no doubt that's rhetorical, especially in the first century. So they weren't entirely serious, but they were very much surprised because it wasn't like that back then. Jesus was holding marriage to a much higher standard than the culture was, much like the church does today. However, there is a great measure of truth to this. It is better not to marry. If, that's an important if, if you're not going to treat marriage with the sanctity it deserves. Because the aftermath that you will leave by not treating that commitment seriously is devastating. Especially if you aren't, if you have decided in advance, you're not willing to commit, or more importantly, learning how to commit which is just as important. You know, it's easy if, to say you're committed on your wedding day. I mean, that's easy. <laughs> but as we remarked last time, hard times are ahead after that day. You know, those formative years will teach you a lot about commitment if you're willing to learn the lesson. In fact, frankly, I read an article some time ago that argued that the mechanism that really transformed boys into men is marriage and kids. It's true. Marriage and kids is the mechanism that God has given us to transform boys into men. And here's what I mean by that. Something about that commitment brings out the best in men. It gives us motivation to be better providers. To makes them to take their role as leaders and providers seriously. It makes them less selfish. It causes them to put down the video games and other childish things and step into who God has made them to be. And more interestingly enough, when they begin to think about their legacy, which ladies, that's a very important thing when, to us men. How are we going to be remembered? What legacy are we leaving behind? Once we're married and once we have kids, we think less about our own accomplishments, what our, the work of our own hands are, what great empires we shall build. We start thinking more about what our kids are going to bring. 
what our grandkids are going to be like and the good that is being brought through all of them. And that will grow a man far more than any bachelor lifestyle ever will. Which, frankly, only seems, from my estimates, to just produce a prolonged adolescence. But there's this beautiful peace that comes with commitment, too. You know, we, we get scared when we think about this. <laughs> but it's really a beautiful and wonderful thing. I, I remember being so nervous on my own wedding day. And just the enormity of the commitment I was about to make. And granted, you know, I knew I was hitting the jackpot. I, I knew that was true even back then, but it was still daunting. But yet the most amazing thing happened. Once we did get married, once we said, I do, I had such a perfect peace about being married. The nervousness just kind of melted away. All of those what ifs and worries about it not working out evaporated. Because every if that I had entertained in the back of my mind miraculously transformed into a how. It was no longer, oh, if this happens, I don't know if things are going to work out. It's no, how are things going to work out now? That was a very important change. Ironically, the commitment most people fear is actually what blesses you with the most peace. But again, Jesus recognizes that this isn't for everybody. And in his response in verse 11 uh, to this <laughs> Again, interesting statement that they, that they made. It is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Now, for the sake of time, I want to boil this down to something real simple because you know, this, this, this could take a while if we really got into the weeds. But Jesus is saying here, look, there are three types of people who ought not be married. You know, there are those who are physically unable to because they're physically unable to fulfill certain aspects of marriage because of some defect from birth. Understandable. There are those who are likewise unable to because of the violence of men, as there were some very cruel pagan practices back then. Let's leave it there. And there are those who have done nothing, who have nothing wrong physically and do nothing wrong physically to their bodies, but choose not to be married for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, which is what this verse is talking about. You know, the church has made Two critical errors over the centuries about singleness. The first is that it's a tragedy. And the second is that it's more, it's more holy than marriage itself. Both of which are not necessarily true. Not necessarily. I've already spoken about what a gift marriage is, especially the last time we were together. So I'm not going to spend much of a time on that. But it's also not necessarily a tragedy to be single. Now, I have a friend of mine who graduated college about the same year as I did. And shortly after we both graduated the same year, you know, within a year I was married. I'd already been dating Ashley for a few years at that point. We were ready. But 
During that same time, about the time we were getting married, that buddy of mine became an international missionary, traveled all over the world, planting churches, telling people about Jesus, going into villages and all over the world telling people about Christ. And he had the gift to do so because he was single, because he wasn't married with kids. I can't do that. (laughs) Right now, I can't do that. I am rooted and grounded right here. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. This is the mission God has given me right here in South Amboy. And in my own home, that's a mission too. But I can't do that anymore. I can't just, you know, I, I when, even when Asha and I were first married, we did a few missions trips together. But And I've been invited to a couple, even recently. I can't do that right now. Because I don't have that gift this season. So my buddy was taking advantage of the season he found himself in. And the question we must all ask ourselves, what are we taking advantage of the gifts we have this season? Or are we wishing we were in another season? Or are we wishing things were different? Or are we focused on what unique opportunities we have right now today? Which I think is the most helpful way of looking at it. Now, some of you have a gift that you don't even realize that you have. You've been calling it a curse, some of you for years, perhaps. But no, you have unique advantages. Some of you have great opportunities to disciple younger believers. You have advantages in your time that you are able to commit to helping out in some of the ministries that we do here at the church that are more difficult for somebody who's working two jobs and has three kids. So whatever season you find yourself in, just pray and ask the Lord, like, God, what opportunities have you given me today? What opportunities do I have that I can be grateful for today? Without thinking and overthinking, because I am an overthinker about what else could I be doing? What other seasons should I be in? Or what do I really want? What have you given me today, Lord? But as we kind of tie this all together, and you, you look at these 12 verses together, we see marriage is a beautiful gift. It sanctifies us, it grows us, it changes us, and it beautifully models God's grace, as we saw with Hosea's example. And yes, there are always exceptions because we live in this broken, fallen, and sinful world. But it gives me great hope, above all else, That God has no exceptions. God has no exceptions. He takes us just as we are. Whatever my particular set of sins are, if I go to him and ask for forgiveness, I can receive his forgiveness. I can receive peace with a holy and perfect God regardless of what my past looks like. It's been said every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. You've heard that before from me because I love that quote. And it's always true. We are his if we, are, if we belong to him, if we have called upon his name, if we have accepted him as our Lord and Savior and trusted in him. And we are secure in his promises. Even though at times we might look as unfaithful as Hosea's wife, God will never stop loving us. We have been purchased through the cross where Jesus laid down his life for us. And that is now our hope, not in what 
we must do for God or how great our commitment is to him. I am so grateful that my faith is not rooted and grounded on my commitment to him or my faithfulness, but his faithfulness to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by affirming what we believe using uh, the Apostles' Creed as found in the back of our hymnals. Let us stand together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 